Welcome to Deep Well Astrology. I'm Allison Disler, a psychological astrologer and somatic educator. And in this podcast, we'll explore how astrology can illuminate our embodied consciousness and nourish our soul. Welcome back, everyone. If you're joining me this week, you've likely listened to last week's podcast, Intro to Astrology and Embodiment Part 1. And if not, head on back to last week's episode and then come back here, because this introduction is truly going to be kind of a linear progression. So we're here in this second part of a three-part introduction series. Today is Thursday, February 9th. 2023. And since I last recorded, we had a full moon in Leo on February 5th. And each day, the planet Mars, still in Gemini, is gaining a little go get em speed, little by little. So I don't know about all of you, but even though it's only February 9th, it kind of feels like time has accelerated a bit. And where I live, we're in the middle of this kind of weirdly warm um, winter time. It almost feels a little like spring this week with a lot of winds. And that acceleration is something that I've been paying attention to in my local environment here in the Midwest. And it's really evident in comparison to those first few weeks of January after the New Year's which kind of felt like a slow start. And if you follow planetary movements, you know that finally now for this period of time, no planets are in retrograde. And so we have been moving, literally moving forward each day more and more. I think that's really given to that feeling of acceleration right now too. But even though things feel a bit more accelerated, I am personally savoring each of these last bits of this stark and slow cold winter. I've actually been wanting to slow it down in this Aquarius season as the Saturn is making its tail end movements through Aquarius. And I've been using it in my journal and just in my mind as a reflection period. Saturn leaves Aquarius at the beginning of March, which wraps up a cycle that has lasted from March 2020 through March 2023, so about three years. If you follow Saturn cycles in your life, you can check out whatever house in your natal chart that Saturn has been traveling through for you, that would be the Aquarius section of your chart from March 2020 to March 2023. Notice what planets you have there, what the themes of that house represent, and how did that Saturn transit go for you? In a broad sense, Saturn is a good lesson teacher or wisdom or maturity builder. It can be sobering, and it can point us towards where we can build or work or put in effort, where we can toil and plant seeds or tend to the soil. It can feel like a burden for some of us. It can feel hard, 
But Saturn transits can also help us plan or to understand where we could put in some effort or boundaries or structures in our life. So come March, the Pisces section of our chart will be open for the next three years or so of the Saturn cycle. So it's a really nice time to both reflect and then offer any consciousness forward of what you're hoping for, what your intentions might be around noticing this Saturn cycle going through your Pisces house. I mentioned this in the last episode, but it's a good segue into this episode's topic, which is astrology and embodiment. When I personally think of a Saturn transit, there is a subtle gesture in my body mind that rises up. And I used the word pre-movement in our last episode. And pre-movement are those things that happen in us almost by themselves before we get that conscious ability to change them or even become conscious of them. We can catch just these little glimpses of them. So when I think of a Saturn transit, I get this subtle gesture in my body and mind that kind of rises to the occasion, rises up to face what might be an effort. This is part of my nature or essence when it comes to something that feels hard. I've always known myself to be one that gains energy from resistance work. I like hard work and effort. When I was in my 20s after college, I spent three years working on a flower farm for the love of the beauty and physical practice and the good, hard, grounding work of it. I woke up at 5 and to get out to the farm by sunrise and spent hours hoeing, bending over to plant each flower by hand. And then a few years later after that, in my late 20s, I joined a Zen monastic community where I still got up at 5 to sit in silence and bow, and complete simple work tasks like sweeping and weeding. All of this to say, this, these weren't the end or the beginning of those manifestations, but I watched myself through time. And while the situations and scenery have changed a bit, there is something I've always felt that's in my nature in the way that I live on this earth and in this body that is connected with gaining energy through resistance. Later, when I learned astrology from a psychological or archetypal lens, it was no surprise for me to find that natally I have a Sun-Mars conjunction in direct opposition to Saturn. So before knowing astrology, I would say something like, I'm like a dynamo of energy. And even as a kid, as a little kid, folks around me who are trying to kind of steward and help me out uh, including professionals, would say things like, you got to put that kid into a structured sport so they can do something with that energy for good rather than destruction. So I was both an athlete and if I didn't get enough physical structure, I was also someone who would actually tear down walls or kind of just have a lot of energy that could go through walls, which is a astrologer funny um I think, signification of that Sun, Mars, and Aries in opposition to that Saturn in Libra. But I didn't have to know astrology to feel into the truths about my own embodied nature. I knew that before. 
And I'm actually grateful I came into astrology later in my timeline after lots of personal and psychological reflection because I was able to look at it in a comparative lens to other disciplines and what I was already knowing as evident in my psychosomatic or body-mind knowledge. So here I am on this journey speaking about astrology and embodiment because it is first incredibly meaningful and enriching to my embodied practice of living and secondly because through my almost decade of practice working with clients bodies now and their own embodied experience there's so much reflection value and building of self-compassion that can manifest and come forward from even a basic inquiry and understanding of astrological principles so we don't have to be astrologers and we don't know have to know the whole lot of astrology to use some of its tools for practical embodiment and so here we are again i invite us all curious you know to be curious here and to not take my word for it but kind of test these ideas out for yourself take or leave what i have to offer you might have to hold your mind open a little while to see what resonates or not. And to note, I do have to say I'm not a medical astrologer. I'm not a medical practitioner. So I do not prescribe or diagnose with people. In my professional work, I'm a structural integrator, a rolfer, which is a hands-on practitioner that helps folks become more in alignment with the element of gravity and with one's whole self. And I'm also a psychological astrologer. So last week, I introduced this idea of how I view embodiment or how I would define embodiment, which is unique to me. It's not the only definition, but it's, it's how I work with it. And I believe that embodiment is the conscious and continual process of stewarding a home for the soul so that we may come to understand our true nature. So for me, the process of embodiment is multidimensional. It includes this earth, it includes our materiality, but I think there are other dimensions involved when you get deeper into the process of embodiment. I also introduced a few things I look at in an astrological chart when it comes to illuminating and assisting the process of embodiment. So if we experiment with looking at embodiment as a continuous journey or this process of stewarding a home for the soul or our being, however you want to think of it, we acknowledge that there is a changing and conscious process involved in this. One way that this has shown up for my embodiment practice personally is that by learning of my own water-dominant nature and noticing that I've always, through time, even early on, preferred experiences of immersion, blending, experientials, and deeply stretching. I started the important question and learning in myself Am I balanced enough? Am I overextending myself? Do I overextend my boundaries and limits into my ligaments and beyond that in my actual physical and neurological limits? 
So over time and watching patterns and preferences, it became clearer and clearer that the answer was yes, because I enjoyed it to some extent, but it was also part of my dominant element. It is in my nature, my watery nature, yet my soul needs and continues to need a better balance of elements to bring earth in, in order to feel welcome, safe, and invested in being in my human form. Because a form that's too watery and too boundaryless and too stretchy in the ligaments makes a hard landing pad for themes of structure. And so that becomes a living opportunity for me to continue to work with that balance. So as long as I was traveling oversaturated, the capacity to house my soul or claim a deeper embodiment or beingness was really difficult to grasp. In even simpler and practical terms, I had to move out of deep yoga practice and into habitual strength training, which was not really an easy thing to do. It felt a bit out of my nature. And I had to step out of lengthy, week-long, deep, immersive meditations and move into daily bite-sized portions of contemplation and quietness with better boundaries with other aspects of my life. This is a journey of elemental understanding for me. And it's just one example, balancing these water and earth elements for me. When looking at a nail chart, I'll look at the dominant element of the chart, the least dominant element, and the planetary ruler as determined by the rising sign for clues and information about how the body-mind operates, what it might prefer or avoid, and how to offer consciousness around using elemental practice in the continual process of embodiment. Last week, I introduced information about our least dominant elements and how to find or calculate that for yourself. I usually just look at the seven visible planets to get started because there's so much info there. This includes the sun and the moon. So an example would be, if I have a sun in Taurus, a Mercury and Venus in Aries, a Mars in Capricorn, a Jupiter in Pisces, Saturn in Libra, and the moon in Scorpio, my elemental balance would be two earth, two fire, two water, and what else? One air. So in this chart example, there are three elements that are tied for dominant. So that's a pretty good balance with air being the least dominant element. In the case with this much balance in the elementals, I'd probably have to dig a little deeper into the chart and look at the rising sign to incorporate the ruling planet. In this example, if the rising sign was Aries, the planetary ruler would be that Mars and Capricorn. So I put a little more dominance to Earth, which is Capricorn, and the fire element, since Aries represents the first house, and there was two other things in Aries. But start with your own placements, your own elemental balance, and look at your rising sign, and just look at those things that seem to jump out to you. Next week, we'll talk about rising signs and planetary rulers more. 
But now let's continue to settle into the elemental balance. Last week I spoke to folks whose chart's least element is fire or air. Now let's talk about charts that have the least dominant element of water or earth. When looking at our least dominant element, it's our opportunity and our possibility to work with integrating or bringing in the least dominant element into our sphere of life, into our sphere of embodiment. And for most of us, this may feel a little challenging or at least counterintuitive at first, because if we are the least well-versed in an element, we are opening to new territory in our zodiacal constellation, in our archetypal pattern. We're opening to something that we are maybe unfamiliar with or feels out of our character or out of our nature or what maybe people have told us that we were. So this is a learning edge. This can be the leading edge of a conscious growth. And it can be looked at as potential for integration of creating space, of creating more capacity. For charts whose least dominant element is water, there's an invitation to remember that our body is about 60% water. Give or take. For some it's more, for some it's less. But if your least dominant element is water, think about water a moment. It's your opportunity to cultivate water in your life and in your physicality. To cultivate and steward water is to befriend flow, to invite nonlinear connection with time and space, to feel, to feel oneself, to feel emotions, to feel into the potency of deep silence. To befriend water is to allow borders and boundaries to soften and sometimes dissolve, to be in the living waters of compassion and empathy, to feel without knowing, to allow emergence and the strange twist of plots as shown by the curvy river carving earth, deep lakes, rushing, ebbing oceans, consistent waterfalls, springs, and wells are all potential portals of integration. To learn from water is to learn to witness its way, feel its way, drink the water, observe the fluids of the body. For charts whose least element is earth, it is your opportunity to cultivate earth in your life, your physicality and the way you move through space and time, to know hardness, to know the earth is to feel structure, to feel support, to feel firmness, the containment of a hug, the container of our skin, the way that each of our cells has a membrane, a layer that is able to sense and provide borders and doorways, knowing what gets in and what's let out. To bring earth in is to accept structure, discipline, sturdiness, and the desire or drive and ability to build, to reinforce and protect, to make permanent and firm elements that ultimately support, to buttress, to create frames and points of reference and practical resources to support or hold up structure. These are ideas, qualities of earth, reliability, dependability, responsibility, to bring in the earth is to bring yourself to sit 
or walk often on the earth, off the sidewalks, off concrete, and bring your feet to the soil. Sit your bones on the ground. So far, we have focused on the idea that if we calculate our elemental balance and come up with one element having a missing or low prominence in our natal chart, we can work to invite or integrate in aspects of that low or least element in order to create an atmosphere of harmony and balance for the emergence of our true natures, to create a landing pad for the soul, or at least by considering elemental balance, we cultivate the potential for more embodied balance in ourselves. For a practical example, we all know what it feels like when we work out our muscles and we get a good burn and we potentially get some soreness. But if you think about that process, what kind of element or elements do you associate with that? I think most of us first into it will be that that feels like a burning, a fire kind of elemental experience. If we keep on or chronically push our muscles to fatigue without repair or restoration period, we are literally burning out. Burning out is a wonderful phrase. It can happen in the muscles. It can happen in the mind. Burning ourselves up, burning out is excess of fire elemental. We could get a layer deeper with this and look at the total chart elemental balance. It's possible for a body system predisposed to this kind of activity or action balance could be a fire dominant person. But one of the ways to work with this, you know, we'd have to look at the whole chart and we have to speak with ourselves or this person. We might look at balancing this burning kind of impulse to cultivate the element that is least represented in this person's natal chart or in their body system. So instead of having to tamp down the, the drive or the fire, we may just have to bring up or work with another element. So we might need to bring up the earth and have support with grounding or air with its levity or water inviting flow. But this is the process of how we work with ourselves to get to know our body rhythms, our preferences, and we can become aware of what our so-called, quote, remedy may be. And these remedies are often found in very practical and natural um, situations. Like a remedy might be, I have to drink more water or I have to take my shoes off or go stand outside or find the horizon line. So there are many ways that we can invent and create ways uh, to steward our elemental balance. We get to come up with that ourselves. So if we know some methods or ideas of integrating and incorporating our least dominant elements to steward more balance, what do you think we might do with our dominant elemental? So first of all, some of us will have more of an elemental balance at the beginning and we won't have to really deal with a dominant element. But if you have an elemental balance where one element 
is in, is significantly more represented. One that really stands out or dominates your chart, or you just have a sense that it seems to be dominating your physical system. You will probably have an affinity or a loved reject relationship with it. In a sense, you may have felt that you have always had a kinship with this element or quality, maybe even as a child or a growing body. Some things you absorbed about what other people were telling you, who you were, may have tonal indications of that element. So you think of things like, if you get this early elemental projection, phrases like, oh, he's so flighty or spacey, or they're so dreamy or imaginative. She's got her heads in the clouds. They're so happy-go-lucky. And you could just write more phrases with that. So what element would you associate with that string of words or that projection of qualities? Our dominant element may be very noticeable in our mannerisms, way of thought, and speaking, and also how we walk, how we literally walk through space. It'll be different than our least dominant element. It'll probably be more present or more apparent to other people. And it may even feel like an easy go-to place. And while I say we sometimes love reject it, we can, we can get oversaturated or burnt out or just overdone with our insatiable expression of this element. It can feel even repetitive or habitual. It is the place where in times of stress or under a Saturn transit, we will probably respond innately in this way. Our dominant element can almost live us. And that's what we have to ask. If we've got a dominant elemental, it is our opportunity to recognize and individuate or move to a relationship where we are the agent and driver of the elemental balance and we are not the horse driven by our dominant element. A dominant element can almost feel like a total way of acting or being. And when I work with people on the bodywork table that are really trying to find new ways of being or have a very strong chronic habit or habitual way of doing things and just can't seem to shift out of it, it often feels like a dominant element has got this system by a, by its, by a rope, by its by its patterning. But even if we have something that feels like it's running us, if we got a moment to go, you know, this feels like I need some space to be able to work with it, we are getting the opportunity to turn down the volume of our most dominant element by maybe turning up the support in the volume of our least element. So oftentimes we can't let go of a habit or a way, especially if something's really dominant in us, if we don't have the support of things that feel less dominant. So if we take something away without providing a new support layer, it's the same in the physical body, it's hard to make that change because the mind and the body do not know where to rely upon if they no longer rely upon this old way. So that's how we can work with the dominant and least dominant element. So look again to your natal chart and reflect through this time and through the time of your life. What are some of the words or phrases you've heard folks say about you over time that you actually resonate with or maybe you thought they were very true for you? And what do people say now? 
And are there some threads there? Are they elemental threads? Do folks consider you spicy, hot to chat? Dry-witted and stoic? Sober and stone-cold? Lugubrious or loquacious? Civil and fair-minded? Maybe a mix of all of these? What are some other words? Write a list without thinking too much about it. And then maybe add some phrases of your own and see if you can pick up your inherent elementals peeking out already. You can set that right side by side your natal chart, and then you can start to see things that are true for you and things that aren't true for you. So thank you for hanging in with this exploration today. We're going to go into part three of the introduction next week. It will be the last of this three-part introduction to astrology and embodiment. So I'll look forward to speaking with you next week and enjoy these deep remains of Aquarian time. Until next time, breathe deep, linger long.